Yeah. Got some people online. I think we're missing a couple, but uh, it's the summer and they might wander in. It's only 401, but we have a lot to cover. And so welcome everyone. Um, thanks for being here and you'll get some updates, but um, obviously I assume everyone took some time to go through this, but there's a lot of work between now and next meeting. Um, and so I think Elizabeth's going to kick us off on some of that. Oh, you need to read the information? You probably should, just to be safe. Hello, Lawyers like that. Hello, everybody. My name is Kyle Kirby. I'm one of the planners, and I'll be helping facilitate this meeting. alongside the chair to facilitate the Housekeeping items for this hybrid meeting. The meeting is being recorded and broadcast on the city's YouTube channel and cable channel 25. Please remember to mute yourself during the meeting when you're not speaking. That function for this meeting is disabled, as that's go directly for me. Unless you are participating during the meeting, please turn your video off. This allows the active meeting participants to be seen on screen. You will still be able to hear the meeting. When you are participating, please turn your video on. If you have any trouble, you can send a chat to me. City reserves the right to mute or turn off individual videos to minimize distractions during the meeting. And I'll now turn the meeting back over to Elizabeth. Thank you. Thanks. Hey, everyone. Um, I am here with my colleague, Abby Smith. Abby is um, joining us virtually tonight. We're all trying to work out holiday schedules and drafting schedules. So, um, and I brought Brody along to convince him about the wonderfulness of Max Modern. So um, we'll be doing the forced tour of the meeting. Mass meeting is. Yeah, as it should be, exactly. Um, so, we're going to start in on module one this evening and um, go do an overview of it, um, talk about some of the questions we raised, talk about some questions you guys might have, um, talk about um, making any changes that we might want to make before it goes public um, shortly, and then um, talk about some public outreach materials and support of module one that we've been putting together to help people understand what the changes might look like. So um, let's go ahead and get going when you're ready. No rush. And, and to be clear, then the idea would be if you hadn't seen to come, we'd come back together after the public input on July 20th. Yes. To push out more, have more conversation discussions about that after. So this is round one of our input, not the final part of our input, even on module one. Thank you. That's true. So. Um, in a in a conversation getting ready for this round of meetings um, with um, staff and our chairperson, um, we talked about scheduling-wise that it would be good to give the steering committee plenty of time um, to go through and talk about all the changes. So we've scheduled two meetings on module one, but at the end of the second meeting, we'll talk about where we are and where we want to be. In the background, we'll keep the drafting going, um, but we want to make sure that everyone in this group and people in the community that want to be involved have enough time with the draft and, and get us their thoughts and comments. So um, don't panic. You don't have to get it all out tonight. Tonight, what we'd like to walk away with are um, comments about whether there's really anything um, in this version of the draft that should be either changed or noted before it goes out to the public in a couple weeks. So that's that's our goal for this week. How are we doing? All right, look at that. I we go a couple slides down. So, okay, so reminding everyone of our project goals. Um, 
simplifying a set of development procedures, identifying opportunities to meet city goals. So I'm just going to do this on my screen sometimes. Um, making the land development code more user-friendly. So that's a, a big piece of what we're up to. And then creating more predictable development outcomes. Everyone hear me okay over the fans? I want to make sure. Okay. All right. Next slide. And so um, we go one more. So here we go. So role of the steering committee. So this is where we're starting out with role of the steering committee. Provide local knowledge and specialized expertise, assist in identifying policy level issues, and assist with technical review of the draft code. So for this evening, we are really at bullet two, assist in identifying policy level issues. So if we've got anything going on in here that we need to talk about that needs to be different before we share it with the public, that's where we are. Um, we'll come back around to everyone's local knowledge and technical review at our deeper dive meeting that we'll do in July. So next slide. I don't click them on A. I just want to say that. <laughs> next slide. So general code reading instructions. Um, if you have not read it yet, um, hopefully you'll notice that we've edited into more of a plain language approach, less, um, less lawyery. Um, not that lawyers are bad, but it can be hard to understand sometimes. Um, we've made it clear that the reference to planning director or director also refers to planning staff. So you won't see it say planning director or designee, it's, it's baked in. You may notice that there are um, places where you see two carrots in the document and that's a missing cross-reference. It's because we'll draft more of it later and whatever gets cross-referenced there hasn't been drafted yet. And um, always um, some formatting issues may exist. And we say that because um, we know that we have readers that um, get unhappy if the formatting falls apart. And um, we swear by the end of the document that it will behave, but it is essentially a Word document. And if you work in Word, you know that it can get swirly sometimes. So doing our best. Okay. <laughs> we lost Zoom. That was the um, disclaimer on the agenda. Full access to view and participate in this meeting cannot be guaranteed due to potential technology. It's <laughs> living up to it. Yeah. That came email. Yeah. Still on or yeah, sure? I think it's still on. If you stop sharing. Yeah, six chats. I think we did. Okay. This module one packet that everybody got has um, articles two through eight and 19. And so you can see in the slide um, and in your packet that we've set it up. So there are zone district zoning districts, general provisions, and then groupings of zoning districts, residential, mixed and commercial, industrial, special purpose overlay. Article eight has use of the new standards and article 19 has measurements and definitions. Um, you'll see Article 19 with every draft because we add in definitions and measurements as we go. We go to the next slide. And then um, we have also updated um, some of the content navigation. So we've added details to the table of contents, 
Um, there are uh, page headers and footers, all of which tries um, to make it easier to get through code. Um, some of the preliminary graphics and tables are included in this graph, and maybe a few flowcharts, those tend to show up more later. And then um, we've added cross-references when they're applicable. So the table that you're looking at here um, yeah. is a new table that we added that links the zoning districts to the comp plan future um, future um, types and density and intensities. They change across each category. So okay. the future residential density, the future commercial type, and the future industrial intensity. Then the next slide and we still. So within the zone district, you guys can tell me to stop if I need to. Okay. The zoning districts. You reduced the overall number of zoning districts. Your um, consolidation. Why did we do that? Some of them um, from the older code didn't get used the way they should have been used. They didn't function the way they should have functioned, and we don't need to clean them, keep them on the book. So we clean them up. Um, we either roll them into another district, and if it's not used at all, we can take it out of the code. And um, if there's some reason um, to stop using that district, which I think um, we've done with IVP, we retire it. And we'll talk about that in a minute. Um, we've added common page layout with graphics and dimensional tables. So that, again, this is a lot of user friendliness within the code. And also if you look at the image on here um, with the um, two units in the residential low density, um, Part of what we're doing in a code is setting up shared expectations with um, staff and the development applicant. And so if we're looking at a picture and trying to understand where the front setback is, if the code says the front setback is labeled A, that helps um, that conversation with the applicant and the um, staff member, helps in the development review process. So that's part of what we're adding here. Um, so, we gathered up um, density and dimensional standards from a variety of different locations and tried to gather them up in one place. We know that one of the problems with the current code is that there's information um, sort of dispersed across the code and it can be challenging to find. So we tried to pull it all together. And then- I'm watching porn um, and jerking all the time. Working in conversation with staff to figure out what lot standards are important and what lot standards aren't really um, adding to the overall development outcome that the city wants to see. So we've made some changes in there. Here, the next slide. So within the residential districts, we have introduced um, new minimum lot area standards specific to residential use type. Um, we've combined the building, uh, accessory building unit standards with principal building standards. So kind of pulled everything together in one place and introduced minimum density requirements, which is one of our conversation questions for this evening. Um, so instead of just uh, maximum density, do we want to look at minimum and maximum density in the residential districts? We'll go to the next slide. 
in the mixed and commercial districts. And I know I'm gonna say mixed use and I apologize, I will correct myself along the way. Um, so within these districts, we um, converted residential office, the current mixed use and some commercial districts consolidated into three, which should say mixed districts. Uh, there's a note in your cover memo that says after discussion among the consultant team and with staff, we moved away from mixed use um, because it is it can conflict with some of the other things going on in the code. So these will be mixed districts. In this round of drafting, we removed the design and procedural requirements from the district-specific standards. That doesn't mean they've gone away. It will be design standards in the next draft and procedures will be in the draft after that. It's just that we're trying to group like with like and um, the design stuff can live in another section and the procedural stuff can live in another section to the extent that it needs to be carried forward. Next slide. The industrial business park district has been retired. And so what that means is um, the district stays on the books. It stays on the map. Everything in IVP stays conforming, but nobody can use this as a zoning district in the future. You can't rezone to IVP. Um, and so um, there will be other options um, that will pick up some of the aspects that the IVP was, uh, was carrying forward and that will do them kind of in a more modern way. Um, the reason we retired it was, was going to be challenging to kind of tease apart what could belong in a commercial district, what could belong in a straight up business park. And so keeping everything in place as is um, will be fine. And then if people want to rezone out of that, that will be an opportunity they have. Um, the general public institutional GPI and hospital districts have been combined into one um, civic and institutional district just to kind of narrow down the um, number of districts there. They do mostly the same thing. Let's do the next slide. A big change is in the plan development overlay district. So as Lawrence goes to a new lineup of zoning districts and um, encourages people to work within those base districts um, because it is more um, helpful over time. It allows rezoning and change over time. Um, we have recommended an initial change to plan development, um, increasing the minimum district size from a half acre to five acres, um, broadening the approach to standards that are eligible for modification. So more things can get changed, but it has to be a larger development. And then calling out what sort of public benefits need to be provided to the city in order um, to allow the use of the plan development district, which is the way it's set up is to allow changes to the base districts. The thing that becomes a problem with plan development over time is that you're locked in to whatever the prevailing development standards were the year the development was approved. Um, and so we find um, communities that have PDs on the books 20, 30, and 40 years later, and development is really different now than it was 30 years ago. So we want to encourage people to stay in the base zoning districts, or if they decide they need to go PD, we want it to be um, something that will really be beneficial to the community. So if you look through the draft, you'll see that there are um, four different um, public benefits, and I know there are other conversation about what's public benefits, and we may change the name of this, but 
in order to be considered for um, a plan development going forward, the applicant needs to show that the project will meet some baseline sustainability standards or will um, be working um, with and around historic structures and sites or will be providing affordable housing um, or is even larger, I believe 10 acres and is providing um, master plan development in a way that can't be done across the base zone districts. So we can come back and, and talk about this. It's a different approach and we want um, to make sure everyone understands it and is comfortable with it. Let's go to the next slide. So article eight, the use table is super colorful right now. Um, so some of the changes that we've made in here, the city right now has two use tables, one for residential and um, one for non-residential. We brought those together into one large table. We did some cleanup and reorganization of use groups and subgroups just to um, bring the use table up to um, the way we're doing it now as compared to when the code was put in place. We separated out the accessory uses. One of the things that we see um, in, in our practice writing zoning codes is that there are more and more accessory uses that are acceptable in a lot of places right now. And we wanted to um, make it easier and more clear um, for the city to be able to see, you know, hey, we're, we're doing, um, you know, a new library with the library. We wanted to have a coffee shop. Um, it may actually have a bookstore with it. And so some of those are primary and some of those are accessory. And we wanted to be um, able to get those approvals done without a lot of confusion about, well, do we need to do something special to do this accessory use? So that's part of our conversation there. Um, and then we have changed up and you'll see some of the changes across the use table, the use permissions. And when we say use permissions, that's what districts can you use it in and what approval process do you need to use? We, as we've consolidated districts, we've consolidated uses. On the whole, as we do this drafting, we take the more permissive um, district standards and the more permissive uses, and that's what we carry forward. Our goal is not, at this point, um, to take things away from people. Um, that would be something worthy of a bigger discussion. So um, the goal is roll it up, make it permissive, um, make sure that people who were um, in this district or uses that were in this district previously um, for, you know, 95% of the time stay conforming and look at other opportunities that can happen within those zone districts. So next slide. So um, in the use specific standards, we took out a lot of floor space based limitations. If you've ever flipped the code, there is this real obsession with 3000 square feet of some use can do something. Um, and so there, um, that I'm sure was put in place um, to make sure that in some buildings there was a mix of uses or you know what should have been an office building wasn't all of a sudden taken over by the cafeteria that was included with it. But we have other ways to measure that. And sometimes those floor space-based limitations, um, particularly in, in Lawrence's code, can cause problems down the road. Um, we were talking with um, uh, planning staff about the requirement that um, you had 50,000 square feet in some strip centers to do whatever development you were doing, but grocery stores could be 60,000 square feet. And so our question was, well, if the grocery store goes away, can you put something else in there? And the answer was probably not. It needs to be a grocery store at 60,000 square feet. 
And that's just an unreasonable barrier in the code. So we wanted to move away from that, some of the floor space limitations and think about the idea that things stay, uses change. Um, and we will you know, make sure that uses that could be something the neighborhood wants to know about or the community wants to know about are um, noticed or given hearing, but otherwise just you know, allowing a more, um, more generous movement of uses helps keep businesses open, helps new businesses open, and that's one of the one of things we really want to see. Um, in the use-specific standards, um, we separated the principal and the accessory use standards. Some, so some of this is simply organizational to help people find the information in there. Um, so let's go to the next slide. So that's, that's it. That's the big overview. And before we move into questions for discussion, um, let me ask, did anyone have problems getting through it? Did anyone have questions about what's going on in the draft? Generally. Is anyone saving it to read over the fourth? Maybe with the <laughs> <laughs> Lot there. I've, yeah. I know we some people have some specific questions, but there's big issues before we get to these. Let's jump into the uh, bigger picture question. And this is where we're looking for feedback. So the draft proposes both minimum and maximum density requirements for all residential zoning districts and to better implement Plan 2040. So in some districts, that minimum density may well be a new requirement. Um, we understand that um, there is zoning in Lawrence um, that is supposed to be, you know, um, R5 or R4, where you're, you know, maybe have a minimum lot size and there are six or 7,000 square feet. And um, instead, when um, the property owner comes in to subdivide, they create much larger lots. And um, that is, you know, something in the past that we would have said, absolutely your prerogative. Um, and the question we're asking now is, if the city wants to see greater density, um, do we want to put a minimum density in and say, you're zoned to a district that has a much smaller minimum lot size and it would be beneficial um, to do smaller lots. How do we think that would play out in the community? And if not, what do we think we would do to implement that part of the plan, which is, as, as your consultants, as we sit here, is the community's voice to us, to our instructions for this rewrite. If we tell someone we're getting to density, where is that going to go? Okay. So I might start out by saying that I definitely support increasing density and that's what plan 2040 support. So I think in theory it makes sense. Um, but as you stated, what increasing density would probably look like is making sure people stick to the minimum lot size in a zone rather than increasing it, I guess, because they want to. I guess it's more of a question for the developers and builders and folks who work in this and see performance all the time. Does more units per land area generally depends a lot better than fewer units per land area? or is it extremely site dependent? Because if it's not site dependent, then I would assume that people building these units or structures or anything would probably go with whatever the maximum density is allowed that the market will hold and that the laws will, will permit, basically. Is that the case? And if so, do we really need a minimum density? Question for, I guess, before in the middle, probably. Uh, and, um, I think we're setting expectations with zoning. And so I think it helps 
um, to say because, you know, we expect a lot of this to be developers, but it can be individuals who are not necessarily developer who just sort of say, okay, I, I, on the lottery, I want a grand house. Um, I can buy up this property. And we might say, no, the intention was not to have the bus route run all the way by that. So, I mean, I, I don't know that it's bad to identify that as an intention. I guess I should note, I have no problem with, with the minimum density requirement. I just don't know if it's functionally necessary, but that does seem like an example where it could be the case, you know. I mean, functionally, you know, the minimum density number, which is like, you know, table uh, 23.2. So you say R1, and it's the density minimum, there's no minimum, but if you go to the R2, there's four units to the acre. Four units to the acre, if you take out streets, is way below what we even, I mean, the connection between the density and the and the lot sizes that go with it don't match. Very seldom can you get um, what you're talking about. I mean, you couldn't get four units to the acre. In, you could barely do it in an RS5 district that we have right now. You have to be really lucky to be able to do that. So the driving factor is almost always a lot with them. That's going to drive what you're doing. It's going to drive what I'm doing. The density number, nobody comes in. And, I mean, everybody wants to get as much as they can. But you know what? I've got a, a house plan that sells like crazy. Everybody loves it. And, and, it, and it's 48 feet wide. And, you know, five-yard, side-yard setbacks, that means, you know, what zoning category do I need to get a 60-foot wide lot? And, and you know, that, that, is, that is the driving factor. Uh, in, in multifamily districts, it's the same as true. You know, I've got, okay, a three-story building, I'm going to put in an elevator, and here's the footprint that I want. How many of these can I get on this piece of ground? And whatever the density is, it's whatever the density is. So, so you know, we never spend any time talking about, oh, I need to get this project. Clearly, you make more money if you get more units on there, but that is very that is never the driver. So what's the product? What, what does it look like, that 48-foot uh, wide? Is that a ranch house or what? Uh, you get a 24-foot wide garage, yeah. you get 24 feet of a, a bay window, and nice entrance, and a little porch on the front, three bedrooms on the back, two bedrooms on the back, maybe one upstairs. And if you get a basement on that piece of property, then you could have a four-bedroom house in the bottom. Okay, so, so it's house and front-loaded garage. Always a front. Always that. Okay. I, I was going to say, you know, the only the reason this has come up in the uh, at the city commission is someone says, "I want to come in and I want to rezone this and I want to make this an affordable housing unit." So I'm going to rezone it all RS three. Everyone says, "Yay, we like that." And then in theory, someone stands up and say, "Yeah, it's it's RS three, but they can come in and build ten houses there, and you won't get what you're asking for." I mean, I think that's where the, the expectation question came up. 
Um, I mean, again, I think that's not, would not happen very often back to back, but it could happen that someone rezones OS3, sells it to another developer who then decides they want to do something else. And I think the question there is if they want to build a, you know, an OS 10 development, should they have to come in and rezone that? Or could they just build bigger houses without making that change? Yeah, I mean, the RS10 or what's whatever they call it now, R1 district. Oh, I mean, those are your um, second level houses, right? I mean, I don't know what else to call them. Those aren't starter homes, right? Um, So those are people that are going to be more cautious about property values, maintaining the values, what their neighborhood's going to look like. When you go, you know, the, the other side of that argument, somebody wants a whole lot of density. They come in, they want RS3 because they know they can get a whole bunch of it in there. Uh, the, the problem with that is, I mean, first of all, I want to, you know, I don't, I don't want to preclude us from doing something new. You know, I don't want to say this is how we've always done it. So this is, we got to, you know, I mean, force them to do something different. Just, I'm, I'm okay with that. The problem with RS3 is, we haven't had a lot of experience in building neighborhoods with house floor plans that fit that mark. So, so nobody really knows. We don't know in, in the building market, you know, of, of what that looks like because we really, we haven't done that. You know, I was reading, you know, I, yeah, I even read your definitions. <laughs> so, um, you know, you have a definition of a zero lot line. And I'm thinking under what set of circumstances can we do a zero lot line in development under our regular, because that's how we're going to get our density up. I mean, that's another avenue to do that. And, um, you know, I'm anxious to see how that fits into future modules because I'm not so sure in this module, you can't do it. I mean, you haven't filled in all the holes in here. So, so I'm, I'm just sitting there thinking, okay, how can we get some really deep, strong density on some, and, and how do we do that? And, yeah. and I, I don't have enough information. I, I agree with something you don't have enough information. And I, I'm listening to you and thinking that you could probably pencil it out in your head, but you don't know where the rest of the code is going to get in your way. And one of the things that we've been talking about is in those cases where we're not seeing something that's getting built in the community that could possibly be built in the community, it would be helpful to the code if we did, you know, did some site testing and put some, some graphics and example more than the tables. This is the hardest way to figure it out. Right. So if, if we come out of this meeting this evening having identified like I'd love to see some zero lot line graphics and where the rest of the standards go with that. If there are, you know, three or four other things on that list, that's stuff that we'll start drafting, we'll workshop with you guys, and then we'll figure out how it goes into the code. Because my natural knee-jerk reaction is, okay, we're going with the PUD. And of course, you just... You know, <laughs> that's what I figured when I read it. You know, okay. and, and so, you know, that, I mean, that has been our tool of choice to those things done. And I understand, um, I'm looking to what we're doing here, to where we can do what we need to do through standard zoning, and we're not there yet. So I can't 
Okay. Please. So I've got zero lot line. If you come up with anything else that um, would benefit from a full um, illustrated build out and the rest of the yep. standards, we'll get that moving forward. I was just going to mention that, you know, we've had this RM32 zoning in our neighborhood and we've had developers that like tried to jump through hoops to get that much density and never could. And that is not helpful in terms of zoning because people have an expectation um, when they purchase property, the bank tells you, oh yeah, you can have four units on this lot. And then you just go, uh, no, <laughs> you know, you can't make it fit. And that is gonna be very dependent on the parking standards um, as part of that. But, you know, here, here I know that we can't, we, had developers that can't do RM32 in our district. And now we're saying, let's have uh, even more dense development. And so again, I'd like to see, what does that actually look like? How many stories is it? Um, does it mean you have to have underground parking? I mean- yeah. I mean, parking drives well. Right. So question, um, I'm sorry, and this is completely in the weeds questions. Um, would it be helpful if, so this is gross density, right? That's our discussion is it's, it's theoretical density. You could switch to net density, which is what you can actually build once you take out everything else. So you have to calculate your own parking, but we know that what you're gonna take out for streets, essentially for infrastructure. That is, that is something that we could do at our July meeting to talk about, but if we're in that place of expectations, if we're telling, people or banks or whoever else in net density is likely three, not four. Um, maybe that is helpful down the road. Yeah, but it, but it, it all boils down to uh, in R3 and R2, what's our setbacks? And, and what's our parking requirement? Because that's what, that's what drives everything in the world. Um, so, you know, it, it, I, I never, I, I don't care about net density or gross density. I mean, you know, the first question we ask somebody, what's the footprint that you're going to try to build with? And, and then we figure out what our, what's left when I add the front yard, rear yard, and side yard setbacks, you know, um, you know a lot of areas even in their higher end homes, have five yard side yard setbacks, and uh, that that's one way. I mean, you take ten homes, take ten feet out of each lot. You know, you're getting one more lot in there in the same same market space for houses. So, um, I'm on page 26, but I've learned over the years that not everyone else is on page 26 because they're. Yeah. Um, so, you know, we started with where we always start, which is the setbacks that, that are in the current code. But a question that we like to explore is, are there, are there places in Lawrence where we should adjust these um, down further? Should we shrink setbacks? Or should we, you know, even if we shouldn't adjust them down because of the condition on the ground, are there places where we want to say, you know, we're looking to get more housing in here? 
And one way that we get to more housing is adjust the dimensional standards for the districts. One of the things I've, all, I've talked about now for 40 years has been these um, setbacks that don't fit both the new development and the original town site. So all of a sudden, yeah, we can be, um, I think, closer to the street in the, in the front yard. We, there can be some things um, that change if you have a narrower, longer lot. But the problem with saying, here's the zoning, here are the setbacks, is that it doesn't reflect any of that. And, and I would say the flip side of that is the, the argument that we could never, you know, rebuild Old West Lawns or rebuild, you know, East Lawns because we can't have alleys, we can't, we, we can't have, you know, a house that's five feet from the, you know, with the park, with a garage in the back where you park, you know, off the alley. Our code doesn't really allow us to do that. And so again, to this idea of allowing people to build things that we're not currently building, um, you know, I mean, I, I do think I'd be interested in how those setbacks, how those setbacks look, um, because again, I could see, I mean, I have, you know, we have dreams of, you know, West Lawrence, you know, other side K-10 building something that looks completely different. And maybe it's a bunch of townhomes and, you know, close to the street. And, you know, my daughter's in Boston now. So I'm walking around Boston, looking at all this stuff. I'm thinking, we can't build, we can't build that. We can't build that if we wanted to. So we can, we would just need permission. Well, you need a PUD. I mean, you, need, <laughs> right, yeah. you need a PUD. Right. You couldn't build it by right. You, right. We could, but we could also we could, we could design it. Based on nope, we're not getting of your four yeah. community benefits. We're not going to mediate. Yeah. Or if we rezone a bunch of land and then someone wants to come in and build it, then we have to rezone it again to a PUD. You know, to to try to accomplish it, then that's more process. So. I'm going to move us on to the next question. So, but back to the question of net versus. Yeah. Gross. I think anything that's more realistic is more helpful. I mean, yeah. and, and you know, don't tell people language. that there's going to be four units. If they know it's an acre, don't tell them four units if we all know that they're only going to get three. And, and when, when we're having a conversation and we have stuff like percent building coverage and percent pervious, We've really got to drill deep down into that and find how realistic those numbers are because most of the time they're not. They don't relate to nothing. So why put those in there? I mean, if we have you have side yard setbacks and front yard setbacks, what? Who cares? I mean, really, it makes a difference. You've you've accommodated for all that kind of stuff. I mean, why add just additional criteria in here that somebody's going to have to worry about whether it fits or not? Well, I think that's one of the. I think that's a fair question. Um, so. Our typical assumption on the um, pervious and pervious surface is that there's stormwater calculation in there, but that's a conversation that we can have with public works and ask to, you know, kind of reality check is, is this related to the stormwater runoff calculation or not? And if it's not, are there adjustments that we can make in that um, requirement? So I, I mean, 
I think we could be open to, you know, conversations about any and all of the standards. We want to end up with the right standards to get the different development patterns that the city wants to see. And if some of these are barriers to getting that, then we need to dig into it and figure out why, if it's accomplishing something or if it's just accretion over time. Someone thought, well, they measured that in Topeka or in, you know, Leewood or whatever we're adding it into because it must be a great thing which sometimes happens, or, you know, someone thought it was going to be helpful for one case and it all of a sudden grew in something else. So we can go back and, and um, take a look at that and figure out what it's actually accomplishing. I would say back to kind of what Nick said in density. I mean, I, I think that's and what you said about the LS3. I mean, the setbacks, I mean, most builders are probably going to want to build with a setback because that's what they think people want, the front yard and the whatever. And so most of the time, even if you had a five-yard front setback, most of the time they'll build 15, 20, 30 feet off. But if someone wants to do something different, I mean, I don't know that forcing everything 15 yards, you know, I can see a little bit on the sides. Obviously, five's not very much, but I mean, whether or not it's five feet or 15 feet from the front, you know, I think, I guess I don't see what that accomplishes for us. In the front, you need that room for the front. Unless you have something in the back where you're parking in the back. Street parking. Or don't, have, or don't have a car. Yeah. I mean, a lot of people in the core neighborhoods who don't. So. Yeah. so, again, and if you want that, then you don't care what the setback is. You're building the house so you have a place to park your car. Out of, out of, you know, you can't park the sidewalk. Can't park the sidewalk. You know? Well, and I think some of the difference in that is new development and infill in existing neighborhoods where we might have a street line. Um, and so that is that is important where the house sits on the lot because otherwise it, it's, you know, it looks like bad dental work or something <laughs> that's in the wrong place. So maybe, you know, in that situation, what we've done in this job to say that that house that gets infilled in, a, in an existing neighborhood as a contextual setback. So it has a relationship setback-wise to the structures adjacent to it. Um, so it can't be too far forward, can't be too far back. But, but if we're, and, and, and to next point, which I think is totally valid. So uh, there's a lot of reluctance to this. And, and Rebecca's probably gotten into this more than I have, is that, you know, I mean, we're looking at building a lot of one-car garages. And, and people haven't built those in an awfully long time. And so, you know, if you got two cars, which is also more in line with people trying to use public transportation, these are your cars, you got one in the garage and one in the driveway, and there's your property line. That sets your front line and holds the Quick side note Did the Planning Commission approve the project out west with the one called Garages? Roger Johnson's, yeah. Roger Johnson's project that went from. They they recommended approval. Recommended they approval of that. Yeah. that. That was okay. to your point. That's one of the first ones yeah. I've seen that has one call, one yeah. one single call garages, small house. Um, There's a lot of people watching that to see how well it does because I mean that's a yeah. cost savings. It's more efficient. Does a lot for us being able to increase our density really fast. And carports. I mean, Rebecca's got carports on some trips. Yeah, with some of our newer, where we use the density bonus, so you've got two little, you know, 500 square foot footprints on a regular size lot, um, and then we've just put a little carport on there. So 
And that then provides that outdoor shaded area so that you're building outdoor usable space in that small of a footprint, which seems to be even in Kansas where we have a winter, but we have, you know, two thirds of the year is pretty nice out. And so you need to have that, that usable space. Okay, so it's not for lack of imagination. There are actually lots of ideas floating around out there. It's for the code getting in the way. Stuff can go. Okay, we can. Um, so let's do this group. We know we need to know more about this. Is there are there glaring errors that we want to fix before we let the public dive in on this, or do we know that we can work through it as we? Can? I would say it sounds like we can work through it. So I'm looking at the lot with minimum. Yep. This is page 25. Yep. And it's you put a minimum of 25 foot for RS3, 12, D, and 15. Why is it that narrow? Because that's a narrow row houses. That's what? That's about the width of a row house. The row house can be from about 15 to 30, depending on where you are in the country. So it, that's this, is, this is this is for um, duplexes. You can do that too. I mean, there are shotgun houses that are fully detached single-family homes that are about twenty. I am not saying you can't have a unit that's twenty-five foot. I'm concerned about having a duplex on a twenty-five foot wide lot. Wait, so, are you reading the? Um, maybe I'm not reading it right. Yeah. In Montreal, they have up downs in sixty percent of the city. <laughs> they're about that width. So these things definitely so exist. Telling you how we wrapped up, it, and it reads really weirdly. Right, but but to me, the duplex at sixty foot is more important than the other two. And I'm just, I mean, okay, I see where you are. So you're like at the R three lot with minimum twenty five. bottom. Yeah. Pages or something. This is the middle of the chart, essentially. Uh -huh. Uh -huh. So all of a sudden, you're saying you can have a duplex on a 25-foot wide lot as the minimum. So I think what's going to happen there is... So let me ask you a question in line with that while you're thinking of the answer. Yeah. Um, most duplexes, we split in half and sell each half. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay. So is the 25-foot the duplex or half of the duplex. So that's what I was thinking. It's probably half of a duplex. It's that one side lot or the other side of the lot. But um, well, the only thing that has saved part of our neighborhood is not being able to tear down every single little single family house by the stadium and put up a duplex because you have to have 60 foot. So there's going to be a little pushback from one particular neighborhood on that. I mean, and this, and I, I think um, infill is different from new construction. It would be one thing if, if you're building it like that. But Ian Lawrence, a duplex can be four bedrooms per side. And we're not talking about families in there. We're talking about eight cars, right? So it does make a difference to the other neighbors on the street if you add eight bedrooms on a, in this case, I don't see why you would have to make it, you could make it 25 foot wide and say there's eight bedrooms. They're on top of each other. 
But again, you, I mean, I, I do, again, this is something we have to continue to address because I think Nick is saying something I agree with and you're saying something at least I can partially agree with, which is I mean, if, if someone in a new development wanted to build row houses that has a ground floor and then someone else owns the, the second floor on 25 feet, you know, in a brand new lot in West Lawrence, you know, because they want to build, you know, row houses. Um, you know, I've, I've seen a lot of those in Boston where it was a row house that w it could be single family or it could be three. Mm -hmm. It could be a triplex. They both look exactly the same and it could be sitting on 25 feet. And I know Houston has done a, has this setback thing where they've reduced the setback. So Houston, they've built a lot of density in areas where they're allowing that. But, but then so, we, we go ahead and for RM24, when you think you should have more townhouses and more things on top of each other, it's got to be 55. That was one of the very specific technical things I brought up, actually, because the density indicator there is pretty much a row house block in Philly, and 25 feet would be totally fine for that. So it's, but that's a general comment I, I had. But if that's a row house, not a row house duplex. Is that right? You can do either, really. I mean, some people want single family, might be three stories tall. Some people might want a, a three on top, like Boston or Montreal. It's kind of whatever the developer, builder, or the owner wants to do. And maybe we're just being more permissive than we used to. And maybe more back to how we used to used to, like, build what you want if it makes sense, right? Versus build this exact geometrical standard. Again, I think there's a difference between infill and tearing down houses. So if we want to be green and sustainable, um, I think we shouldn't have a plan that would tear down every house in a neighborhood to make it something different. Um, but on the other hand, we don't want a code that says you can't build row houses in West Lawrence. So the, I, I think the question is, and we've talked about this, is how you separate new development and, and back to this contextual setback. I think you can have contextual, can you do contextual we can do contextual everything. And this this is the conversation that we've kind of had at a high level. What are the character? Uh -huh. What are the character areas? And is that useful and meaningful to us? And so the, the goal is not to, you know, break the Orient neighborhood. But then the question becomes how do we how do we protect the Orient neighborhood or and or how do we allow sensitive developments in the neighborhood? Um, and how do we go ahead and allow the other development to take place in other places? Um, and so I think this is too one size fits all right now. I think what you're reading is this is gonna let someone come into this neighborhood and make changes that aren't gonna fit very well. Um, At the same time, I'm not saying that we shouldn't have 25 foot row houses, but. Um, I don't hear you saying that, but they might not go everywhere. Right. Yeah. yeah. And, and so, again, I think that's where it's at. I, I mean, to me, that's, I mean, one of the other things I've always wanted to do is build row, get the county to build a parking garage and build row houses along South Park. It's the best, you know, we have a parking lot there. Anyway, sure. but it's a neighborhood. We would have had houses. a bigger parking lot if I yeah. hadn't stopped it. Exactly. But anyway, um, you know, I think we do want to have that. So I do want, I, I do, I am concerned about making that 
Not the line. And I guess one of my overarching things is I can't say this while Marcy isn't listening because she wants to like okay, shoot me here, which is I think we should allow duplexes more often if you know um, duplexes more often um, it's certainly a new new development, but even in, in older neighborhoods, you know, contextually. So the, the thing I would say to that is duplex is probably the least, like, least interesting form of housing. I would love townhouses. Um, I would love triplexes. I um, happen to own two really pretty fourplexes. Those are much more interesting than a duplex. Is it, um, are you picturing what you're a side-by-side duplex? What? Are you picturing a side-by-side -side duplex? Yes. Probably. That's no, not, not picturing a side-by-side -side duplex. One on top of the other? Top and bottom yeah. duplex. Yeah. Oh, I'm, I'm, you know, I mean. Or front back. Yeah. And again, take an old house in Old West Lawrence and want to, you know, make it a duplex and sell the basement. So, so you can't do that, well, and, right? Because it's duplex in a single family. Why are we limiting that? Why are we allowing somebody who owns a house to say, "I'm going to"? Well, I'm, this is an empty house. I'm going to remodel it into two units. Not going to change it. Not going to tear it down. Not going to, but have two units. I can sell both units. Well, that's, that's what I want. That's what, we, and that, that's and that's what we've done in my neighborhood and. Yes, but what you're concerned about is someone tearing down an old house and building a massive side-by-side, four-bedroom, right? You know, monstrosity in between two historic homes. I mean, uh -huh. I don't think a lot of people want to yeah. support. Let's go to um, in my deal page thirty-two, which is the RS three that you're talking about. Okay. Yeah, right. Okay, and, and that graphic is. What you're talking about, I mean, that's misleading. Um, and and I have one pet peeve on the on all your graphics for these, if I can. Sure. All your setbacks say from the back of the sidewalk to the house. If you look at every single one. It's that that's what the graphics all show from the back of the sidewalk in is your setback. And that is probably never true. And so, but is true. It's, the, it's, it's the property line is never at the back of the sidewalk. And we run into that. My surveyors run into that all the time. People want to build a fence. They pull a tape off the back of the sidewalk and they start building a fence and they discover they're two feet into the right way. So then they got it. The city's going to have them tear the fence back out and move it in. And, and this, that's what your graphic shows. And so, does that make sense to you? Yeah, I understand what you're saying. Yeah, yeah. 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 Um, the other one is, I mean, one of your buildings in this R3 is an 18 plex. It's an 18 plex <laughs> because you're assuming each of the balcony. Each, each of the balconies <laughs> is a unit. Yeah. Right. And the maximum density is 15. So I'm not so sure you can, you can build that building. I think that's one of the challenges of putting graphics in code. <laughs> <laughs> so 
know, we we have um, applicants come in and say this is ugly. I actually kind of think that shadowy one is a little on the ugly side. Reminds me of the seventies. Um, but you also don't show RC's duplex as another example. I mean, that's that's the problem with the R three zoning district that covers such a big yeah. variety of it does. uses. Yeah, and so. Um, this one automatic R three. Look at those two buildings. That's what R three is for. It's for these. Yeah, no, I think that's that's an excellent point. And one of the conversations we have internally is, you know, do we show graphics that show the maximum of what you can get in that district? Because we want to have a reality check about what the district's supposed to be doing. Do we show the full range of what's going on in the district? Um, you know, and by the way, you don't have any parking. What's that? And you don't have any parking in these pictures either. Well, this could be parking, but this doesn't have money. So um, these are all good points. Um, what I what I'm thinking is this would be a picture one of my clients comes in and says, Can you do this? <laughs> <laughs> and I'm gonna look at it and say no. It's in the car, but it's right up on that picture. So, so, uh, I, I thought you had the picture on the wrong zoning category, and then I looked at the one we have for R4. Holy cow, yeah, that's but well, I would at least has the townhouse, yeah. So. That is a good question, but I do think the range is important, like that this goes from this, you know, so that. You can see it is not always going to be a duplex, but that we need to show people and hope for more density. I think that so, so we can we can put the realistic and the aspirational image. Yeah, <laughs> and everything in between. That. <laughs> okay. Okay. So well, I mean, I I know I've, I've I've looked before at you know form based codes. Yeah. Where they have a couple, you know, pictures of well, you know. That's a duplex you'd never think was a duplex, so that's a fullplex that you wouldn't think's a fullplex. There's some row homes. I mean, I, I do agree. I kind of would rather see a couple right. of like that, even though it's not a home-based code that says, oh, these are, let's spark some ideas here about what this could look like okay. aspirationally rather than Yeah, that's more expensive something. to build. Yeah. Right? It's more expensive to build. Yes. Concentrating on the wording, page 36, I'd like to strike the last sentence <laughs> in the paragraph on purpose. Um, when you say this district can serve as a transition between lower density districts in the downtown or university areas, the downtown and university areas are not going to be as dense as this district. It's not a transition between those two. Um, so just say the purpose is to accommodate residential development near regional employment concentrated uses. And then, but it's not a transition. Is that fair? Okay. All right. So I have a question on is the word on page 34 is the word commercial left out of purpose? I think that actually segues into the next slide, right? Like X versus residential districts. Hold on one second. The 
neighborhood transitions slide? Highly transitions. It makes sense versus residential. Yeah. Sorry, I'm okay. not trying to defer the question. Yeah, no, that's okay. Yeah, no. So, maybe where we're going. The mixed use districts. Yeah, why not? Sure. Thank you. Okay, so the intent of mixed zoning districts are to incorporate appropriate scales of residential development in currently commercial areas um, and some commercial development and commercial development in residential areas. So, how do you guys think this will work in Lawrence? So back to my question yeah. Yeah. is, uh, I saw a commercial in several places, and that's fine, but I didn't see it in the residential high density. No, nope, that's a straight up residential district. Okay, so um, it, it seems like you're still going to need, if you want to have shopping or some, I mean, you're just going to this residential high density without any commercial. I mean, like versus a podium building where you have commercial on the first floor and then living above, like the showing the picture. Right, yeah. right. Or you have a Starbucks or a Starbucks side apartment building because they know that there's going to be lots of people. A coffee shop, I will say. Yeah. Local coffee shop. To me, <laughs> it, it, it just shouldn't be just strictly apartments or townhomes. With the commercial on the bottom, isn't actually something we want to see everywhere in the city. It, it, there are lots of cities out there that require it and that space stays open for a long time in the current market. Yeah. Um, so we were trying to get to something that is residential top to bottom. And in, there are other places where you might be closer to commercial or more walkable to other commercial. But the more successful mixed use buildings like that are in places where there are a series of them um, and you have a commercial walkable area that you go through. So you aren't thinking that these are necessarily um, that type of development in that location. Um, but it's, you know, if we, we think this is more of a mixed district, then that could be something we talk about. So I have two things to push back on that. You mentioned that a lot of these podium buildings that have commercial on the bottoms tend to stay empty for a long time. Part of the reason is that they're large commercial spaces and they're often expensive. And in an over-retailed country, and often each city is pretty over-retailed as well, there's usually a lot of vacancy for a reason because there just isn't enough market demand to get that in there. So if you have a 10 to 20,000 square foot space, that's a very specific kind of tenant who's going to go in there. And there's very few 400 to 1,000 square foot spaces that actually could be filled by an average small business. Like it's going to have to be a chain. It's going to have to be a big restaurant. Like for example, Gold Medal Barbecue, that's been three things since I've lived here, possibly four. And I've only been here for six years. And it's a humongous space. It probably costs a fortune. So like you're kind of set up to fail unless you were already a beloved restaurant. And even Portfondo wasn't already beloved enough to make it work. So I would... I would, I would say just because we don't currently see commercial in the first floor of large residential buildings doesn't mean that we can't. I think it's only because they've been set up to fail, geometrically speaking. I also think that there's a difference between prohibiting commercial uses on ground floors versus not requiring them. There's a difference. In places in like Houston, for example, they're generally required to have either 
clear story windows along the, the sidewalk or some kind of, of commercial space. And whenever things required, that's going to be too much retail. You just don't need all that stuff. But if you don't prohibit it, that's different. Some developers may decide, you know, we really don't need this. Like Proxy on 23rd, they're starting to realize, yeah, we don't really need all this commercial, honestly. This is kind of unnecessary. So they would like to convert it back to residential, but they can't because it's the wrong kind of zoning district court, right? Like that especially just permits the whole thing. So if we allow the flexibility for people to build buildings that can evolve with the cities that we live in, it seems like that may be a more realistic and kind of more traditional approach. Um, and that kind of gets to my big biggest overarching comment, and that is R3 to R5 and M1 to M3 sure do overlap quite a bit. And their pictures look almost the exact same also. It almost seems like those could be the same districts, honestly, with very little changes. So I think that's why I get, I get back to prohibition versus non-requirement. And I think if we think it from a non-requirement standpoint, then mixing the M's and the R's of the appropriate densities might make sense and making it a little bit simpler and more permissive than they currently are. And I came back to, I want to see mixed use everywhere. So, you know, I don't want it to be required, but if somebody wants to put little mom and pop shops that could be rented out for a little coffee shop or, or, or other retail, to me that. And I think to an extent it actually is. I mean, the way it's written, a lot of commercial uses, commercial-ish are actually allowed maybe by accessory or by special use permit in some of these more dense residential districts. And when I was kind of comparing the use tables, I thought, man, there's really a lot of overlap in these things. And just a little bit more permission on the R's and more prohibition on the M's would put them very much in line with each other. Um, so I would say, luckily, um, there actually are some accessory commercial uses permitted in the very low density residential districts as well, which I, I think is an improvement of what we currently have. Right, so right. I, I think I, it's turning in the right direction. the only one that didn't yeah. have commercial in there. It is weird. The accessory uses in our district? Every district has accessories. Yeah. I was thinking so. Yep. So again, it's, it's so not. Could, I mean, we could change it up. We absolutely can. Um, I think one of the things we want to um, think about here is if um, we go to that first floor um, commercial permitted, the floor plate on commercial is usually higher oh. in the ceiling than residential is. So that does change construction costs somewhat. Um, also, we can, we can call it flex space. It can be residential when there's demand. It can be good. commercial when there's demand. Um, it's my understanding, and I don't know that I've seen any studies, other than, uh, just anecdotal information, but once um, it becomes residential, it tends to not with back to commercial. So, um, you know, it, it's something we can explore in the code. Our initial thought was that to go in um, at this density, which is already um, going to be something that, you know, will seem pretty overwhelming to some people, um, to also add in cars and commercial um, is going to be a more intense use. But if it's something that we think the you know community would like to see or development that would be successful, we can um, switch this out and move it to you know first floor commercial. Well, presume, I'd also uh, like to see trees. <laughs> I, mean, I presume I don't yeah. see yeah. trees in their drawings. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> How about on street parking too? Yeah. Um, I presume part of the problem was just mapping it over 
from existing zoning district to something going forward. It's yeah. a big part that we need. So how did we get the here project? It was a mixed use, right? Yeah, mixed use with the PD overlay. But the the one that's the answer we're gonna do. <laughs> the one you know the big kind of overwhelming project in our neighborhood does have a little bit of commercial. It hasn't always been successful, but it makes it a much um, more accessible building than if it were just residential. I mean, you feel like, oh, you put this in my neighborhood. Okay, at least I can walk into something, right? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's uh, so from a a builder's perspective, when you do a podium building and you put commercial on the first floor, you have a completely different building code that yeah. dictates that first floor, which drives the cost up a pretty significant amount um, for a developer to then entertain putting that building in and taking the risk of trying to fill that commercial space and actually get it to cash flow out, along with like, you know, the fire sprinkler systems. There's a lot of but we're not making you do it. Nobody's saying you have to do it. I know. I'm just saying. So if, if what you have I'm to have hearing, different copper wire, you have to. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so to to have that flexibility, I mean, we're talking from a zoning district here in this meeting, but from a builder's perspective, that actually builds the buildings. There's a lot of nuance in commercial versus residential building construction codes. I mean, we have an international building code for commercial buildings and an international residential code. So. How do we also think about that flexibility of providing in the zoning code and how that overlaps then with the true constructability of the building and the flexibility that I hear everybody talking about? Because once you move into you know the actual building code, what uh, how do you you know allow for that in the next step of actually constructing the building? I'm completely for having flexibility and letting the market and the developer and the owner have have access to that. But then, just from a builder's perspective, how do you how do you actually functionally do that? I have to say in the code. So I don't hear anyone saying it's mandatory, um, at least for most structures. But um, we could we could say that um, ground commercial is permitted but it's going to need to meet code um, we should. so we i don't think we put much more in here than that because building code will take care of the commercial space requirements um yeah but what we want to still do where where many codes um take a lot of criticism is not allowing the residential on the first floor so it you know it'd be those people get the super high cathedral ceilings that nobody else is getting. Um, if that's a, if that's if we want to make this optional, right? Isn't there a threshold of units that hits you over from the residential to the commercial version of the IBC? Isn't it like three or four units depending on the city and they adopted? So like what we're seeing on the page is pretty clearly IBC commercial, right? So like there's probably not a, a not a scenario where that four story, eighteen or so unit building is going to be in the IBC residential, right? So, like, it's going to be ground Like, it'll be a built to commercial standards regardless at that density and at that size. Yeah, I don't think that building is intended to be a podium building. And I appreciate that that's what you guys see when you look at the image. None of the buildings are intended to be 
much, but um, showing generally what your massing can be. And I think that one of the things just to go way into the weeds that we're going to um, try to do with this code is um, um, the ArcGIS now has a product called Arc Urban, and we can put the proposed dimensional standards in and do a mock-up of the buildings. So we're going to try to do that um, and come back. So these are these images aren't intended to show um, specific building construction types. And when I hear you guys saying that, it concerns me that we're in the wrong place with the images. So um, imagine that they're more boxy. <laughs> and we'll go back and do some redrawing to get to that place. I appreciate the input. Um, it, I hadn't had that feedback on these images before. And if that's how they're being read here, that's not how they're supposed to be read. So we need to do something different to make sure that we're not um, encouraging people to do something that they're not supposed to be doing. So thank you for I would just finish. I I fully appreciate the like where the discussion went here with flexibility. I just was kind of thinking at it from a construction standpoint of how that would happen in real life as as a project move forward and design. So I think it completely can be accomplished. Um, how does condoing out these buildings in M one play a role in it? So typically in the zoning code, we don't care what your ownership format is. So you can do it any way that you think you can. What we want to try to do is what you pointed out earlier, make sure that we can do the pull apart, duplex or townhome or whatever. So that yeah, goes into individual ownership. In commercial and in, in multifamily, it shouldn't make it just fun. Yes, yeah. So you own it however you want to. I have a question about the overlay zoning district. So um, is was there any thought to um, an affordable housing overlay district, partly because that's one of our main goals? And I feel like the on page 77, where we talk about kind of planned unit development, the affordable, which I've seen that as trying to keep the density bonus available for affordable housing in, built in the code, which we super appreciate. Um, but that wouldn't, uh, the planned unit development stuff requires five acres. So it doesn't give us some flexibility for a really affordable project that maybe we don't have just 10%, which is a question, certainly those are proponents of affordable housing have to on is that enough right for the incentives or are the incentives enough vice versa but um but just thinking that an affordable housing overlay district may be especially in this interim where we're trying to get more quickly um not interim it's in code but i mean in this moment that where we need a lot more quickly um, and maybe in smaller infill or whatever that that could be put where where yeah you have zero lot lines or you have reduced parking you know because you're building something that doesn't require all that because it truly is subsidized and and affordable. And so uh, it's such a good question. Um, so because we're all in this process of threading the current code, 
our, from a drafting perspective, our preference would be just to bake that into the zoning districts themselves rather than do an overlay. Um, so to make it so that you can get to affordable construction in uh, a variety of zoning districts. Sure. One thing that is, I think, interesting about you know pursuing as an idea of an affordable housing overlay is it kind of gives fair warning. It's like this, this area is in the affordable housing overlay, um, and nobody is nobody on the city's end is going to get in the way, um, or or not the public end, which is probably the more challenging part. Um, so. I guess I would ask us as a group. So an overlay district, just about up a second, is we, we write in these base zoning districts, you can do the duplexes, right? We're back in those districts, but you're in an affordable housing overlay where we say, well, you know, you can do a lot of adjustments or even just a full-on density bonus. So for every affordable unit you give us, you can do another market rate unit. Or we'll let you build, you know, 40% more on the lot or your height can increase by, you know, a whole story or two stories. Um, and that is, I mean, some of that is extreme just to make the example. Sometimes it only takes a little bit of change to help get more affordable housing, not a lot. Sometimes that change is in the use table. When we go from saying this is a, a single family district to this district allows duplexes and triplexes, which is actually one of our questions down the road here. So, would there be a, a benefit within Lawrence of saying um, we think that these areas are um, great locations to put in affordable housing um, and do an overlay that way? Or, um, and, or do we do it in the base zoning districts? Um, and we probably, as a group, need to have a discussion about all the tools that we can use within the code to get to affordable housing. Um, but and can I talk again real quick for a little more context with that, that I guess I'm speaking from the affordable housing development community where we're really like low income housing tax credits or I mean, truly like supportive service housing, which is what we need. So I, I love the base districts allow for much more affordability and mixture of affordability and potentially for-profit developers adding to affordability sounds fabulous, but the deeply, deeply subsidized affordable housing, I think could use some other tools. So oh, I think that's something we, we maybe wanna um, do some conversation about where that might go across the districts that we're proposing. Um, we probably want to talk about the um, full range of incentives and adjustments that we would need to do to get there. Um, I know we can't do inclusionary um, in Kansas, but assume we could do voluntary um, bonusing. Um, so have, do you know, has anyone put together a list of all of the adjustments they would need um, to make, uh, to help a deeply affordable project sound solved. We have a good list, but that's a great thing for us to focus on okay. of like looking at some of these yeah. projects that have greater density that we've never been able to build before that we're envisioning now. What does that really 
require. So maybe we can do some work on that offline and then bring it back to the group and explain why it's beneficial to getting that type of housing. Okay. Okay. Okay, how are we? I'm having a really good discussion. Um, go ahead. Before we get off um, the mixed and commercial yep. zoning, um, I'm also, I'm somehow got stuck on this lot with minimums. <laughs> and I'm going back and realizing that in a duplex and we say it's a 25 minimum lot, you take 10 foot off of that. Now we're talking about a 15 foot wide um, Building, not 25. You do if you need side setbacks. There are some cases where you don't. Right. But so on a on IG where it's 50 foot, you have a 50 foot lot width minimum. And then um, street side is 25 foot or 50, and interior side is 25. So you have nothing left to build on. And in fact, our city commission asked industrial zoning on a lot that ended up with a five foot with for development for a project. And then they had to come in and get a variance because you can't do it. So it's not it's not helpful to combine those two things. If if we're really talking about these street side and interior side um, setbacks, you have to have a wider lot. Otherwise you'd be left with nothing. So if you let's reduce setbacks. Yeah, so in Table 20-3-2, under um, under the new RSs, a lot of those uh, side, the interior side effects are zero or five feet. And I, I don't know what that one goes to. It's not clear, but it probably depends on the kind of building. So I would bet if you're doing something, zero lot line, multi-family dwelling, something like that, you probably should build to the lot. And that sounds to me like more a traditional city development. Like in Baltimore, you might get like a whole street of upper houses. Uh -huh. And they're like 25 things, and they all look roughly the same. Or DC or Boston right. Really anything East Mississippi, where you, you basically will get, you know, single family homes, be simple, but they are touching each other and they don't have any side effects and you can make full use of that 25 foot lot width, which is pretty generous in a lot of coast cities, actually. Yeah, a 25 foot wide house. A huge row house is a big old row house, yeah. isn't it? I lived in 15 or it was just fine with more people. <laughs> so, you know. Okay, so what I'm hearing is that the picture that we have in our heads of how this works been translating out and causing new concerns. And I was actually where it was earlier because I was like 25 feet for a row house is way too wide. That should actually be narrower. So we may need to, um, in the same way that we've gone in and done the um, swelling detached and duplex, swelling attached to multi-unit, you may break that down further and then do some of the lot that's attached to the unit types instead. So you're not um, not having to do mental math on this. Well, you will at some point, but, but right. up front, yeah, I hear what you're saying. Thank you. Okay, so let's go back to the mixed use again. Can we okay. started down that road with the, our um, five, which we're going to make an optional, it'll be an optional mixed, mixed district, essentially. Um, so what are you guys thinking um, when we say, you know, there should be um, a much easier way to get to more mixed-use development, pretty much by right, 
Um, moving away from some of what is complicated about the MU, the current MU district, the primary, secondary, and tertiary, um, and just say, you know, in cities, we allow a lot of different things in a lot of different places. Does that sound about right? Yeah. I think that's what Kay is saying. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I don't yeah. disagree with them. Yeah. Exactly. Here, where we're going with it, though. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. All right. That wasn't hard. We'll see what we'll see what feedback we get on that. Um, let's do let's do the PD um, for a few minutes. So it's coming off of our conversation about affordable housing, where that five acre PD was going to be problematic. Um, Let's see this two ways. First off, what do you think about this, the city specifying this is the benefit that we want to see um, to allow a PD? So PD is completely optional, which puts the city in a position of saying, we're not giving it to everybody. And just for your bad planning history, it came out of much older zoning codes that were much more rigid in what they could do. And this was, I think, in the 40s an awesome idea for more flexibility. But now we draft more flexibility into the code itself. And so it used to be that you could get a PD if you were doing better design, but we're also drafting better design into the code itself. So now we circle back and we say, okay, we're giving you maximum flexibility and you are giving the community the spend. So it's either more sustainable development, which we measure by our trips or by reduced water use or by reduced um, electrical demand, or you're doing something um, within a historic or cultural area that is working to um, maintain that preservation while doing more sensitive development around it. Um, so we took our first best guess at what might be meaningful. Um, and this is open to discussion. Um, so you know, our question to you guys to think about, and this could be for our discussion next month, are these the categories that we like? Are there other priorities that are higher? Some need to be pulled out for much more open space or parks with trail connections. Um, you know, it, it could be whatever is important to Lawrence. Um, and that would be, you know, something that we could write into this. Well, in conceptually, you know, I mean, the, the, the positive side of a PD to me has always been, hey, there's something our code did not contemplate. Yeah. We need to have an option. Yeah. You know, the negative side of a PD is this developer just doesn't want to follow the code, so he's going to ask for a PD because he, and everyone's going to ask for a PD, and that means the code's bad. You know, I guess I am leery about, you know, thinking we've covered everything. And then having a great plan come along and not having a tool to, I mean, so, I mean, I like some of the goals. I mean, I think this is one of the things we we found with mixed use. And maybe Jeff or someone could jump in there. We had all these great ideas about mixed use. You did this, you get this bonus. And we did that, you get this bonus. And I don't know, Phil can probably say this too. I think everyone who looked at it said, that's ah, too complicated to, you know, I, we're not going to mess with that. And so I'm a little leery about over incentivizing, um, you know, again, maybe you do something 
on the procedural end and say, I mean, I'm making this up, you know, a PD can happen with four votes instead of five or the super majority okay. or something to make it harder, but, but at least leave the flexibility so we don't create. So I don't want, I mean, personally, I don't want to limit creativity um, by some constructs. I do think that there is some limit to creativity by the minimum area required. I think if you're saying only people who have five acres worth of space that they can do something cool with are allowed to, well, that doesn't really work out very well for like small neighborhoods. You might get a couple houses together, like let's do something crazy. You know, I, I don't even know what that would be like heretofore unthought of, right? But if you're only saying five acres, that, that, that kind of privileges the more uneven connected yeah. developers, right? Whereas half acres, like anybody could just decide to do some weird co-housing thing with no parking. And if that meets the four benefits and have at it, right? Good luck selling it again, but you can do whatever you want as long as you don't hurt anybody. Um, I do think that those four metrics seem pretty decent. They seem broad enough and they do seem pretty aligned to plan 2040. People will definitely have problems with them because that's just the nature of a society, right? Like somebody's going to be like, I don't think I'll just But overall, I think they do broadly match with plan 2040. So I, I would agree that that's, that they're, they're kind of subjective, but they could be made more quantitative if need be just to be above more scrutiny, right? And, and I think I, I think the opposite, really. I, I think if you have five acres, you've got 10 acres of piece of ground, your, your opportunities to meet the standard zoning code are so much greater, okay? It's the odd-shaped, small little pieces yeah. that are going to cause somebody to come in and say, man, this just doesn't work, okay? That's, that's you know, I, I think it's the opposite. I, I think it's the small, really odd-shaped pieces are the ones that somebody's going to come in and say, oh, man, I just, you know, if you get five acres, I mean, you know. So no minimum. Becky's going to tell us, hey, you have to be able to do a standard zoning. Yeah, no. Uh, We've seen that in other communities, that small, weird lot thing is like, if you've got nothing else, bring us a PD. Yeah, and, and. And in, in, in that case, I mean, why even have the four criteria? Because you're not going to meet any of them. I think that would be a different category, actually, because I think you do like a, a small PD would be, yeah. you know, less than a half an acre or something like that. A lot that couldn't have been yeah. built otherwise. But, but I'd like to see us focus our energies on this on the standard zonings and get them as rock solid as we can. <laughs> and then just simply say, man, if you just can't, if you've got a good argument, to come in and want to do a PD, you know, maybe put one additional kernel in there that you're gonna have that you're gonna disincentivize somebody from wanting to do that. But now let's just not take that completely off the table and make it the most odd set of circumstances that you can ever because just you're just disincentivizing somebody from doing something. And and there's just it's in my mind, it's just punitive. And there's no reason to do that if we yeah. if we can't do a good enough job on our standard zoning care. Because I mean, we would we would really rather come in. We would really rather come in with standard zoning categories because it's so much easier. If you can rezone and not have to jump through all yeah. the PD stuff, yeah. <laughs> and and that all that all by itself is enough incentive. I kind of see the PD though as maybe not being for commercial developers and engineers and builders, but people like. So full disclosure, I live in Delaware Street Commons, which is a co-housing community. And it was started by just a bunch of people who were just kind of quasi-hippie and were like, let's live together, man. And it's not nearly as hippie as I would 
pretty it's going to be. But <laughs> it's just a bunch of people. None of them are developers. I think one was maybe an architect. This is years before I showed up. But um, they were not what we would typically call developers, but they did develop a property. And they had an idea that didn't fit neatly within the bounds of what we call acceptable housing. And they had to get a PD to make that happen. So I feel like it's sort of the idea lab almost, right? It's it's the weird stuff. Stuff like we want zero parking on site and we just want it all to be one big garden with houses in between. Weird, but if you can prove that this is sustainable or good for open space or good for portability, okay, you, you have met these quantitative criteria that we don't have discretion to decide if you're connected enough or, you know, or useful yeah. to actually meet the criteria. But that's a great idea because I, th I think what we ought to do is take that project and then take the latest one we just took through, you know, so they're like 20 years apart timeline and figure out how we can do both those two projects under a standard. Okay. Yeah. I, I agree too, but like, like Brad was saying, we have, we haven't even imagined what these might look like, right? Like if you talk to somebody in the eighties that there's going to be a place with e-bikes be like, I'm sorry, what? Mm -hmm. People have no clue what you're talking about. Or like, we need places to charge our cars with gas. Like people would have yeah. no clue. Like, we don't know what's going to happen in the next 10 to 20 years at all. Which we need to add e-bikes to your definition of license. <laughs> sure. I'm just saying, like, it's it's that total unknown that I, I feel like at first I wasn't totally on board because I'm with you. Like, let's just make the code work. But as soon as I heard it's for ideas that don't yet exist, that might, that to me makes a lot more sense. And it's something that it would be wonderful to brainstorm all these right now. But we're living in 2023 and people in 2028 might think totally different than we do. And I don't think we can predict what they do or presume why put the four hurdles out there in front of us? Like, because I think I we want to make it. Yeah. I mean, what, why? Do I, I think we need to have hurdles that are quantitative and completely, like, well, biased towards what the community has agreed on as Plan 2040, but not biased that any one commissioner or planning commissioner can say, hey, you know, I don't really like this guy. He's brought us some kind of crappy development proposals in the back. I'm not going to approve it. They will say that. But England, for example, has extremely discretionary zoning and zoning appeals laws, it happens to work. But the reason people tend to like zoning laws like Germany and Japan and the US is because they're non-discretionary, or they're supposed to be non-discretionary. That's the idea. They're supposed to be non-discretionary, which means that no one more connected party than the other can get special treatment, which is ideal. So because of that, I think having something that is measurable means that you can't go back later and say, hey, you were discriminating against me because you just made up a new thing on the spot because you're being discretionary. So that's that's where I'm coming from. I see, I see what you're saying. Like, if I can prove that I have 30% of the average medium income that's affordable here, that's a measure that can't be disputed if you got the data correct, right? Or, like, if I if I model the carbon emissions from this household, you can't dispute that unless you have a different model. But at least we're working with the same data, right? So maybe a compromise would be, I mean, like you said, have some of those specific things or number five, the super majority yeah. of the commission. Yeah, there's something that truly, we didn't even think of this metric even. Yeah, it's still going to have some discretion, I think, which is why our zoning code is still the way it is, right? Like, it's not fully by the book. So, I think the other thing we want to talk about in that category while I write down what number five is, is um, we, we want you guys to amend the code. So, when we come up with new housing types, we should be amending the code to specify what that's going to be and where it's going to go and how it's going to work. This is, I, hate to say it's not a holy document and so we should be pulling it apart and changing it as the community changes so that's something we'll talk about as we go forward we're going to do the very best we can with what we know right now um, and we're going to know that things will change in the future because they always change in the future 
And so we want to make sure that the code is set up to account for that. I presume that was module three. Module three will be, uh, but we'll, we'll talk about, I mean, we're gonna treat this as a living document. The city should be amending it with some regularity. I think you do some of that now, but I think it's gotten to the point where it's kind of like, uh, it's painful to try to fix. Um, and usually when we get to the place of a lot of PEDs, that's a symptom that the patient is kind of sick. Um, and so we, we want to do a lot of what we're talking about here. We want to account for new development that we don't see. And maybe PED is a way to do that. Maybe also amending the code is a way to do that. So let's think about both of those going forward. It's almost like if you think of PUD as pilot unit development rather than planned unit development, if it ends up being a pilot project and it doesn't work, then it'll probably stay as PUD forever and there's no need to update the zoning code around that. But if it's a pilot and it does work and you see maybe two of them, and three of them, then that sounds like it would be a good sign that it's time to update the code. This pilot was a successful one. Possibility for sure. Okay. So we got some stuff out of that. I want to make sure that we save some time at the end because Bertie's been sitting quietly and he has cool maps to show everybody. So let's get through a few more and then we don't, actually don't have a ton. Um, can you pull it back up one more time, Pat? The question is, we are recommending um, allowing one and two unit residential structures, single family duplex in all low density districts. Um, we want to talk about whether or not that goes far enough. Um, I'm sure many of you have heard that your communities across the country um, go forward. I think I'm going to skip that one. Yeah, we're on this one. We'll go back to that transition one at some point. Um, communities in the country that are saying we don't have we don't have single family zoning anymore. They still have single family development. They're not wiping that out and replacing it. And I don't. I mean, I know that you are an excellent representative of your neighborhood, but also the community as a whole. Um, but one of the things that zoning has done poorly over the years um, is sort of center itself on the on the primacy of single family development. And um, that is these days expensive and not providing all the housing that the community. So one of the ways that we can um, allow changes in that um, is allow um, more types of either attached residential, so that could be duplex, triplex, could be townhomes, um, allow ADUs um, in more places. Um, and I know someone in this room is thinking ADUs are not um, a cheap thing to build and they're not a fix to affordable housing. And I agree that affordable housing um, for greater density comes through lots of tools. And so we're exploring what the range of our tools could be. Um, so if we go to Lawrence, and don't worry when I say we, I mean, Brody and I, you guys don't have to take the shots on this one the first round. And we say single family is fine and it will stay where it is and the zoning will stay where it is. But someone could come in and build that top bottom duplex and that should be okay. Um, and, you know, we could guide it through design standards. How do we think this will play out? It's not played out well historically. Um, I mean, we've tried, what, four, four times to allow ADUs in slightly more dense residential districts. And I wasn't here for the first three, but the fourth one was delayed due to COVID and never got back up. So it's it, right now. It got handed over when good. it started the project. <laughs> that's kind of what I figured. Yeah. yeah. I, I do think it's a different time, though. I sure hope so. I mean, yeah. I mean the 
the landscape has progressed. The housing crisis has gotten worse. COVID has made things very different in terms of how we live. I'm sure hoping more people are coming on board, but I don't know. I, yeah, I feel uh, like we're more open, but we certainly see when any mention of density in any affordable housing project, there's neighbors that are all against it. So I think some of that is just showing what what this looks like, because there is a fear of the unknown and having even some pilot prop. Yeah, not everybody. Yeah. But uh, fear, you know, fear of, of the unknown of seeing that big, nasty duplex of four bedrooms that you don't want versus something that looks just like a row house, but allows or we see a lot of. Um, I mean, the reality is we don't see big families anymore either. Right. So the market has changed for that. Um, and, and we're seeing that most of our lower income or moderate income families do not have five people in them anymore. So they don't need that kind of space. So we really do have to, what we thought of as a single family house, you know, can be much smaller, right? Or, or different shaped or row houses that you don't have a side yard because no one really wants to mow their yard anymore. They want to be downtown doing something fun. So I, I really do think we're, you know, especially the newer generations of buyers have really changed in the last few years. In my experience, um, a lot of them aren't in the market because it's the gap is it's, it's, it's too unaffordable. But I think if we built some of those products, um, we would see that change. And a good example is Beatnik Court, which is the RS3, the only use of RS3. I have all those sold before we started pouring foundations. Um, and those are subsidized, I know, but uh, little, you know, littler footprints with solar panels, very small yard, but people love them. And I think we could, yeah, do triplexes in, in the same kind of row house style and people would love to buy those. So how do you answer the, how do you answer the question accessory dwelling unit in existing RS7 neighborhoods? RS5, RS7. The R2, the new R2. How do we, what's the question? Well, the question is, in the people's fear, is there's, uh, you know, 12 uh, RS7 lots and one person in that neighborhood decides to build an accessory dwelling unit in the back so we have the conversation. I mean, that's where the fear, that's where the, that's the fear. Yeah. So, I mean, fear is the fear that they're adding more people or that they're adding a structure or that it's changed? It's going to reduce the property values in their neighborhood. It's going to increase the traffic on the streets. Yeah. Um, they don't know, you know, you look, you were talking before about this, the street. Visibility of this nice row of houses, and then you stand in the backyard and you look through all these backyards, and now all of a sudden you have a nine nine hundred and fifty square foot house setting right there. Yeah. So what I think is interesting is um, people react differently to that as a mother-in-law suite. If I were putting my mom in there, my neighbors may react differently than if I were making a rental out of it. What we tend to do is encourage people to look at 
the whole site as a bubble. I mean, I could have a family of 10 kids and I would have that many cars and create that much traffic and probably be even more annoying when they're all teenagers. Um, so, or you could convert the second floor. I could into do an internal ADU. And when we talk to people about ADUs, everyone immediately jumps to it's a detached unit. And here, probably people jump to and students will live there. So we have mm -hmm. a lot of assumptions likely going on in that conversation. Um, so what we have tried to, to do in communities where you know we, we have a split where some of the community really wants to see ADUs and some really doesn't really don't we you know we remind them that first off it is not cheap to build an ADU. Many people who are excited about ADUs when you survey them about you know would you do it when would you do it the there's a lot more excitement about the idea than I would do it and I would probably do it 10 years from now. Um, so the numbers don't come out that way. This is a place where we try to use the modeling also to show, and we've done in a community, here's your neighborhood. So, you know, you could have three external detached ADUs. You might have, you know, two more internal ADUs. This is what it would look like. Um, it's, it's housing conversations take a long time. Um, and so if we want to start this conversation or carry on where it's been, we probably want to get it out to the public in July when we start doing the rest of this. Yeah, I'm not a, a, opposed to the idea. What I don't have is tools to yeah. adequately discuss. To, yeah, to have to make sure. I think we want to make sure that we're all having the same discussion first and foremost, um, and then figure out what some of the places are where people are concerned. In defense of my neighborhood, absolutely, we've accepted the most density in the city. Okay, and we've accepted it pretty well. Yeah. Um, and a lot of what we've done is have um, existing houses subdivided. So the house that I lived in was an up-down duplex. Yeah. You know, at ten forty-six Ohio, we um, put in um, special. Um, abilities for existing structures that were over, I can't remember, 5,000 square feet or something. I mean, we have some big houses and we said they can do different things in our neighborhood. So I think, um, especially in the original town site, focusing on using existing structures, like letting people have an accessory dwelling in their garage or things like that are much more acceptable and saying we're going to put a new structure um, someplace. Absolutely. So the garages have been used a lot um, for other things. Well, and I think one of the first one of the early conversations we had with um, Beck and Jeff and staff was how many um, illegal dwelling units <laughs> we have in Lawrence, and what do we do mm -hmm. to make them legal? Right. I mean, realistically, let's bring them on the books. Let's. Let's get out of the way of people using those as accessory dwelling units. And in a city, the age of Lawrence, there are lots of them out there. Um, so I, I think that you know, the, maybe Oriad is a great example because we do want to look at internal examples and say, it's functioning, it's fine. Mm -hmm. it's really fine. I was going to say, isn't that, uh, isn't that an indicator that our, our zoning and, and codes really aren't functional with the way people want the yeah. city of Lawrence to work? When they all when they all do them illegally. Oh well, the only part, yes. Yeah. yeah. 
Um, and we'll pick up this conversation again um, at our next meeting because this is incredibly helpful. So thank you all. I think Philip has one more question. I had a, I had a question. I just wanted to clarify my reading. Uh, you said that duplexes, quote unquote, were were permitted in in low density uh, are in in the low in low density housing uh, districts. Is my reading of of your uh, Table correct when it says that in R2, duplexes are only allowed by special permit, that they're not they're not permitted by right. I read it, it's either I didn't see the right thing or uh I just want I just want to be clear on that. That's the way I would okay. I think you are correct. Okay, good. Um, That's what I thought. I can't. I can't remember at this point if I wanted to ask you guys first or put it in the table first. But it sounds like before we release the draft, we'll put these in the table for at least duplex and the um, R one and R two. Well, I, I think that's a very good topic for conversation. I haven't heard it uh, specifically. I mean, are you looking for a consensus view? I'm, I'm curious to, to hear it. So, so you're thinking you're going to change those. So I'm going to take in the use table where it says dwelling duplex and those two, the R1 and R2 are blank. I would like to put these in there and roll it out and see what the feedback is. And I will flag it for the universe so they know it's in there. We will not hide it. I'm, I'm good with that. I'm good. To me, <laughs> to me I'd, I'd be more interested in seeing R1 that was not... Um, this, like, if you had a, I don't mind a second unit, but that seems more appropriate for accessory dwelling or a smaller unit than um, two identical units. Two identical units. Just because it really, I mean, it changed then you still kind of have an RS1 house, and then you have something else going on in the lot. I like that. But the idea of, of saying, this is RS1, and now... Really, we've um, doubled the density. 
So let's ask that question. Yeah. It's, it's a good conversation. Let's, yeah. let's look at the map because it relates okay. to this. Okay. So the other thing that we're trying to um, let people do, so with these <laughs> districts, we want people to be able to see what does it mean. Um, and so Bertie's going to walk us through um, a story map here that we'll we'll share with the public when we're ready so people could do that. So go ahead, Bertie. Yeah, so we've created a story map to educate the public on the potential. Um, Let's move it up there. Yeah, that would actually great. Yeah. <laughs> I do move it yeah, It's not going to go anywhere. Um, so yeah, we've created this story map to educate the public on the potential and proposed zoning changes that we're putting forward. Um, so it starts here with a little introduction. Um, we're anticipating that when people read this, they don't know what time about zoning. So it's a bit of an introduction. I'll let y'all read through it for a sec. So after the introduction, we go into this slideshow. It's not quite showing up the way I want it to, but close enough. Um, so what is zoning? And it's a brief description of zoning here with an accompanying map of what Lawrence's current zoning is. We have here a legend that goes through all of the different districts we have currently in Lawrence, um, residential, you know, commercial, industrial, everything. And as it scrolls through this map, it highlights the different kinds of districts. So here, we've isolated the residential districts, um, tells you a little bit about what residential districts are like in Lawrence. And it continues through to the commercial districts. This gives you a nice layout of what zoning currently looks like within Lawrence. Industrial. Yeah, it's just very general, basic info on what zoning is Lawrence. And through this, perfect districts, overlay zones. And then it moves on to this comparison map. So uh, maps intended to explore the draft proposed adjustments to zoning districts in Lawrence is not official zoning remap. Uh, it's meant for analysis and discussion. So following that, we have this map here which is an interactive map showing the current zoning on the left side and our proposed zoning on the right. So from here, you can zoom into whatever parcel you want, see what your current zoning is. Um, you see, so here we have an RS7 district. RS7 districts would be rezoned re into our group. Um, so you can use this map as an informational tool to inform yourself on what zoning is, what you can expect to see as a change. Um, you can go here to uh, and I just, does anyone want to give an address we can look up? 334 Florida. 334, what was that? Florida. Oh, you have to say phones. Oh, oh, you're right. I can't do that. <laughs> yeah, we go here. We'll show you that. Uh, click on this map parcel here. Click. You're currently zoned as RM24 there, and you'll be rezoned to MU or MU4. And you can do that for any parcel within Lawrence. And it's, yeah, it's just information. 740 Rhode Island. Seven. Yeah. Oh, yeah. This is going to be fun. That's <laughs> it. You get some zoning entertainment. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I believe. Um, yeah. Same in business RM24. You will be, you will be an MU. Tour. And from this, you can go into the code. 
people look like through an MU4. So are we can open up commercial. So I think from this you have to go. We're not linked to the draft, are we? Yeah. This is not linked to the draft. Okay. No. But we're not quite that technologically. Yeah. Oh, no, but I meant. Yeah. Um, and following that, we have the conversion table that gives a higher level view of what zoning converts to what. Um, following this table, we have a link for some public input, let us know what they think. It's not not a survey, but you know, public comments. And a link to the, uh, the project email where they can send some any personal comment. Yeah, that's very cool. There's uh, informational links in the Yeah. Thanks. Forward to it. Any input on things you'd like to see in this page, any cool. changes, things that the public could be receptive to. I think it's a bit of a bar. So the, go back, the two charts side by side, that's the old and this is the new. There you go. Current is on the side. Current is on the post. Okay. Which could be clarified. Just watch those. I was hoping videos. the right side would be less color. <laughs> there is uh, some changes I think can be made because there is a consolidation of zoning issues. Fewer, I think we can find that makes readable. Oh, that is a large <laughs> of this side of the map. There's a lot going on. It's, it's yeah. hard to read. Sorry. I guess I was uh, inferring that there'd just be a lot less zoning districts. Oh, yeah. <laughs> there are some things. I think this is aligned a little bit. That's not what I'm looking at. But... Hmm? So for people who feel like they want to know what's going on with the conversions and the mapping, because most people's relationship to a code update is what's happening on my property. Yes, no, I can so appreciate that. Yeah. We want them to be able to see. We want to start this conversation really early because we, we find that as we do this, and Lawrence may be the exception to our rule, but usually, you know, a handful of people come in and say, hey, that's not my actual zoning. And what you're converting me to isn't right either. And so that's an opportunity to start having those discussions. But this is kind of an kind of a an entryway into more mapping, looking at Lawrence. Mm -hmm. um, we we think after we roll this out, we're next working on a density map. Um, and we want to start looking at what those densities are and what would it look like to increase those densities in some way. We're also taking a look at um, neighborhoods across the city, what the existing density is, so we can help ground people. Like, hey, I know you sound completely afraid of 24 units an acre, <laughs> but guess what? It just it exists right here, and you're totally fine with it there. Are you so, going to do a density of dwelling units or density of people? Well, it could be okay. Good. And that discussion we had earlier about the vast amount of different building types mm -hmm. of different densities, that will be shown Oh, okay. You might have a top-down duplex, you might have a side-to-side -side duplex, you might have a multi-unit of 24 to 32 mm -hmm. units, and that will be shown within the density map as comparison. Like, if you're moving from one of these lower residentials to this, this is what you could possibly see. Is there available data to do person density as well? Because I think when a lot of people think density, they think like crowded tenements in the Lower East Side or Hong Kong, where there's truly a lot of people in one dwelling unit. Whereas density of dwelling units is like, there's a lot of maybe two bedroom apartments, a lot of one bedroom apartments with just one person in each of them. And, you know, compared to a 10 person family in a house, like it's actually maybe lower density of people in some cases, it just sounds scarier. Yeah, just how they interpret the word. Yep. In the worst way possible. I have yes. one question. Respected mapping. Uh, when do you anticipate that you will have the uh, street widths 
associated with this, if that's going to play into parking concerns, requirements for off-street parking in established neighborhoods. Right now, based on my reading of, of what you produced, that, that you have a street width criterion in there. So when, when are you going to roll that into this piece so that people can understand the connection between potential parking issues and changes in housing for So we, um, we do uh, parking in our second module. So that'll be the next chunk of drafting that comes out um, in, I believe, early, late August, early September. Um, we don't do street widths in the zoning code. In, sub, in subdivision standards, they are. In the sub, in, okay, so we don't change existing street widths in the zoning code. So you, you, you reference street widths in the ADU uh, specs. Okay, so, so the ADU specs are probably carried forward from the current regulation. Um, so that is are something they, that we can talk about. Yeah. Um, so I didn't like but the, the rest of the full-on design piece that will be coming in the next chunk of drafting. Okay. Okay, so we're at 501 and... Um, Pixel one. Pixel one. Two hours. Completely inadequate to have these discussions, but we've got more coming. Um, I'm going to look to our chairperson. Do you want anything else to happen? Do you want to anything else to happen before we go public? Do you want to let the public start chewing on it, and we come back as a group and keep going? It's draft until the end, right? And then it gets adopted, and then it can be changed again the next day. So, I mean, I guess. Um, not just me, I'm open to this. I mean, yeah. I would rather, um, I mean, I think some of the things we've talked about, I mean, I'd rather see some, um, like, for example, provocative sort of things to get people's attention, to see what, to get what the free feedback is. I mean, and, and, and we're going to come back and hear that feedback. I think the natural reaction is, I mean, some of the things I think we said here today pushes you a little, I mean, I don't know, a little farther. It does. Then you were there. I'd rather see that go out to the public okay. and see if, you know, some neighborhoods come back and say, that's never going to work. Okay. Whereas opposed to if they see something like, oh, my, my neighborhood's not changing. I'm not going to say anything. Okay. I mean, um, I'd rather see a little bit of that. That's my opinion. I'd rather push that and then see see what we get and then we can come back and talk about it. And then I think other people are going to say, I'm okay with that until I see the parking standard. And then right. I, when I see the parking standard, then all of a sudden, you know, now I'm going to be interested. Um, so I still think some people look at this and go, eh, that's okay. As long as there's a parking standard. And then when we, we pile it up, I mean, I think we're always going to be coming back talking about module one when someone sees module two and how it interacts with module one. They might have an opinion that they didn't have the first time um, or vice versa. So, yeah. again, I think that also has to be the message, which is this is a process. Yeah. And, and eventually the whole thing is going to be adopted. But, you know, let's be part of That's my thought. Anyone else have thoughts on that? My, my question was, what are all the sections you're going to include? And then I have some really quick comments that I'd just like to make generally. I mean, are you talking about including P2 open space? In the in what you and then I think you really do need to indicate that there's a maximum coverage 
And I'd love to see wetlands and wilderness in there along with recreational space. When you talk about open space, but it says open space and recreational areas. So if you added wet wetlands and wilderness, we're I mean, you can add those or not, but otherwise it seems very limiting. On urban reserve, um, principal uses, um, it says the only principal uses um, are ones that are in existing prior to annexation. And then it says the development or expansion of any structure should comply with dimensional standards of the R1 district. To me, those are in conflict. Either you let somebody build or you don't let somebody build. So you could see what you meant to do with that. Um, what page are you on? I'm on page 66. And so the urban reserve can be carried forward. We, uh, we the consultant team, flagged it. I think we may have talked about it as a group at some point in time, and it's the holding zone for right. annexation, essentially. So the conversation, and maybe we saved this for our July meeting, but... You know, the conversation that we started to put forward is don't do urban reserve, zone it to what you want it to develop as. Okay. Um, That's fine, but yeah. I'm just saying yeah. that, that's a conflict between the wording um, in that. And then the only one other thing is um, in agriculture, use specific standards. Um, I like the way that you divide them, you know, between structures, maintenance, excluded animals, but you do that just for small animals and not for like fowl. And you could do the same thing. You could make those much more consistent in the way they're. And does anybody object if I give the team some ideas? Go for it. Make those more consistent. All right. Because it just keeps me entertained. Yes. As long as you're not talking about bees. I'm talking about oh, Af Africanized honeybees are prohibited. <laughs> but, um, but I think, it, it, you know, the coop is really a structure. And so say, these are the structures in this thing. And it, I think you want to make it easier to read in that, to me, would make it easier to read. And then I have one, I'll just give you, have a, would be to is. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Thank you. Email it to back here, Josh, and they'll forward it on. Okay. Okay. At six again, six oh look, six other overarching comments. We've got yeah. lots of time to talk about this, but let's get it out there. It's about the general process. So I I interpreted our our role to like truly read the whole thing and like technically pick it apart. So I got like eleven pages of notes and a lot of sort of discussion questions and comments and like why is this here? Doesn't make any sense. Is this hurting anybody? And um how do we do those. Is that going to be at the next meeting? Because I feel like a lot of them, you know, if answered, could really shine light on what we really intend to do. Like, just as a totally random example, there is a truck stop use allowed in downtown. Why? It seems kind of silly, right? So, I mean, just like tiny things all through the 200 pages that I generally think it's a wonderful document. Are you comfortable just having your notes mailed out to the group so we can see what you flag? I assume that was going to happen. So, according to the some communication I saw, it's like, hey, Submit your notes to the planning team and they'll distribute for discussion before the discussion. It's like, all right, whatever, sounds good. Um, but I, I don't know what happened overall. So I did send in a lot of notes, but I don't know what the process is now. So, Well, you, you've come to the right place. Uh -huh. You're comfortable with them being dis distributed. You know, talk about that. Yeah, no matter. We wanted, so a couple of things happened with steering committees. Um, you know, we need, we need your input. We don't want to impose on you to do that level of review. 
if you have done that level of review and you want to um, send it to Becky or Jeff, probably the thing to do if the committee likes is to circulate it to everybody. Um, if there are just straight up edits, we'll pick those up on our end. Um, the rest of it, we can roll into conversation with. What about the format that was done for the code assessment where people who wanted to could go through and add comments tagged on individual sections and then there could be replies if that, I don't think that functionality of this actually worked. Our thought is to post it that way for public comments. Okay. Um, part of the conversation we had was it um, can be challenging with open meetings to do a strictly um, steering committee review version of it, if I am understanding that correctly. Um, so, so why don't we talk to the city attorney's office? Um, because it, it would be nice to have that shared version among the group. I don't know that we can do that without sharing it with the public, though. I see. Okay. So that was that's where we got jammed up on that. Our, our first idea was to let you guys do it that way and then share that back out. But um, yeah. that's how we're back to written comments yeah, like that. Sense. And, and if, if I understand big picture, the idea was supposed to get some of these ideas out there, go to public comment, yeah. hear what the public has to say, then bring it back to us again. Yes. Um, on the 20th of July, give more feedback. But again, still understanding as we as we continue to move on to module two and three, um, you know, to, to continue to have feedback. And so again, I think there's a mixture here. Like, I mean, I think some of the things you pulled forward, like you probably didn't think about uh, using that example, truck shopping downtown. Right. No one's analyzed that. It was in the current code, you stuck it in there. But that's not, a, again, probably a good thing we want to take out at some point. So I think sharing that and, and bringing those forward are helpful. Um, so I think sending them to Becky and Jeff and then forwarding on is probably the best way for some of those detailed ones. I think the trick is, though, a lot of them aren't like, this is factually wrong, you should fix it. A lot of them are like, I'm not sure this is really something that we as a community want, but I want to post it to a group and see if, that, if I'm on the right page or not, right? Like, for example, bus terminals aren't allowed in downtown. We're going to build one. We probably should allow it in downtown, right? Like, there are certain things that, you know, as somebody in the transportation sphere, I'm kind of aware of that, you know, maybe we should we should put that in there. But I, I, I'm not going to unilaterally say, like, you must do it. So, Can that be um, just the start of the public comments? I mean, I think it would be very helpful for everybody. You mean the I mean, the public to just to say here... Here are 11 pages of notes. And then I think it's going to be really important to let the public know that um, this is a process. I mean, so you can post as a public comment. Yeah, yeah just That's fine. make it a public comment. And because I'd like to see it, and I think the public would like to see it. And if it is just a question, um, that's fine. Yeah, one of the things we think we need to do in Lawrence in particular is post public comments so everyone else can see it. Mm -hmm. So we could do that with group members also. Yeah, like the, the system you did for the first one for the code assessment, that seems like it would make sense, you know. We will do it yeah. for the when we're ready to post the full draft. So when we, um, we will make some tweaks here, we will push it forward, sure. push it further, because that's the conversation we're having. And we'll post that. Um, and you guys can weigh in on that one. Everyone can, yeah. except for you. Um, so we'll, we will do it that way on each of the drafts when the steering committee decides it's ready to go to the public. But mine are just going to be, mine are really edits, not changes. 
I mean, mine is just because any foul edits, we'll just put it in words. <laughs> <laughs> yes, that makes sense. Um, real quick, the ADU code was was not looked at, has not been updated. Has not been updated yet. So, so that will go out. It will go out, but flag it and say, yeah. I mean, do we want to do where 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 Brad is. Do we want to make that a little more forward thinking at this point? Okay. Okay. I definitely yeah. flag. Are you guys good? definitely flag? Florence, is that going to be what happens? Next? <laughs> They'll protect you. <laughs> okay. No, I I honestly think we'll have a different reaction this this time, but maybe I'm optimistic. So I'm optimistic. when you send out the drafts of the public, I really feel like that you need to put some cool pictures. And I'm I mean big on pictures because. We can look at these little diagrams and clearly we talked about how they are maybe not representative of all the different uses. I think it's important for people to have visual um, abuse so that they are not like thinking of a little shack someplace, you know, that they're thinking of something cool looking. I mean, there's tons of pictures that I agree with you. I could you um, we could add some could you do like an addendum like yeah. instead of it being in the code like add three or four pages for each building uh zoning area that say hey these are potential options of what a building could look like but not actually incorporate all those in right it didn't have to be in the code, code just so. like an addendum yeah, I think, yeah, or something for public comment what we can do is is Added in those comments, we we uh, and I know you guys can't see what's in my head. We can add it in and say this isn't regulatory. Um, this is to help everyone picture what we're doing here. Um, we would need to have a discussion as a group later about whether or not those pictures stay in because we find that people read them super literally and they go, "It's got to look like that. that." I want it to look like that, and then you're like, "Well, it doesn't actually have right." So we can do it for this round. We'll talk about it again for whether it stays in or not. Okay, so our plan was to try to post this um, in a few weeks because we will be back with you guys in the July, late July, and we wanted to do some outreach on this um, at the same time. Um, so I, what I think might work is if you make our changes uh, from this draft to the next draft in Redline or in track changes and share that with the whole group and then just ask for a survey of, are you okay with it going out like this? Knowing that we're still in discussion about all of it, does that, and if anyone has complete heart failure about something, you'll scream, stop the presses and let us know. I may have heard wrong, but Brad, it sounded like you were leaning towards just, it's good enough. Just let's just well, I think get it we, out. I think make a few no, but I think we want to make a few more we're gonna push the yeah. what we saw today okay. for what goes out. Yeah. Again, I think what you want to say is these are you know drafts. I mean you've done that yeah. some of that now, yeah. drafts and ideas. Um let's hear your feedback on that. Yeah. I think I'm asking, does the group want to see it again, or should we push it a little further, put it out, and then we'll come back and talk about it? What's the preference? I'm okay with you. We're fine. All right, I'm, I'm okay, okay with you changing it and pushing yeah. it out. Again, no no one's asking the public to say this is the final 
this, yes, no. we want your feedback on this. Yeah. What do you think? Yeah. Um, so pay attention to what we're up to here. Yeah. So I think if you make a make a few of these changes, push it out, and then let's see what the feedback is, yeah. and then we'll be able to also see that as whatever you push out, um, and again come back and make yeah. make comments. And if we don't have enough time on July 20th, you know, again, <laughs> we'll keep going. Hey, um, just want to say thanks. Thanks. This is, I never know how this conversation is going to go. And it's, um, it's exciting to actually say this wasn't enough. So, and, and to um, help start narrowing down some of our caveats, some of our, it's not going to fly here. So this is all where we want to go. It's, it's all good input. And I'm glad that everyone felt comfortable saying something. I am not going to lose sleep over you not liking the graphics tonight. It's okay. Let's <laughs> share it with you and have you say, wow, that wasn't even close. So we got it. We'll go make changes to it. Thank you. I think overall, though, I, I mean, I liked the way it read. And I mean, I did appreciate more graphics. I, yeah. I think that's very helpful. Yeah. And I'm aware as a, you know, like as a builder, as you, you do tend to pigeonhole people when you look at a, a picture of a building, but um, yeah. I, I appreciated that. That's great. And even as a lawyer, I appreciated the plain meaning of it. Yeah. Yeah. That's, <laughs> I mean, I think it's really yeah. good. Yeah, I mean, I, I like that. Considering it was code, it was reasonably easy to follow. <laughs> okay. Excellent. And I just, I just want to make it clear too. I feel like I may be one of the more critical people here, but even with 11 pages of comments, I would be totally fine with publishing this thing like as it is. I think it's really like a huge improvement already. I just want to make it like awesome and perfect, right? Like it's pretty, it's pretty darn good right yeah. now. I, you know, can't find a ton of fault. Snippets. Okay, we're off to a good start then. We will reach despair at some point, I swear. Okay, thank you all. Thank you. 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 Thank you.